Welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. We're in your skull. Uh, hello, the listener. This is another episode of the Downloadable Concept Podcast, where we didn't come up with a clever intro today. Like, fuck, I didn't. Jeb, yeah. what you been playing this week? <laughs> well, uh, okay, um, I have been... Uh, I have been uh, sacrificing uh, civilians to appease my dark god on a secluded island. And in video games. Yeah, I've been playing Shrouded Isle. Okay, cool. Just checking, because, like, you might have moved to Nova Scotia or something. I don't know. They're weird over there. Uh, Shrouded Isle is a, it's a little thing uh, about running a cult, and you every you, you have a group of you you have a group of advisors. Each one's from a different different clan, different house, and they're each have their each house has their own responsibilities, like making sure people are ignorant or or making sure everyone has the right amount of fervor. And uh, um, every month, every season, every so every three months, you have to uh, sacrifice one of your advisors. And um, depending on what their sins are, the 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 more heinous their crimes, the the more your god is appeased, and more the the town itself is placated, and the less the house will hate you. <laughs> if um, if if the lo- if their loyalty ever gets too low, you are there's they revolt. Uh, if your if one of your if one of your five uh, Five, five, uh, like devotion ratings. If one of those drops too low for an entire season, then your god abandons you. And uh, every every so often, you get uh, you get a specific sinner to look for by your god. And uh, during during that period of time, you have uh, to also focus on a different category more than others. So uh, you might find that your dark god has asked you to look for uh, focus on say ignorance and also make sure to uh sacrifice the uh the the uh the artist tell me this is all approached with the the same sort of humdrum business-like tone that we're experiencing here um it plays out very much like a like you would imagine like a management sim yeah (laughs) but it has really nice like it has very appropriate artwork and very Mm -hmm. strike start coloring because uh it's it's really nicely done and it's super cheap. It'll probably last you about an hour. <laughs> and uh it's is this available on tablets by any chance? Do you know? Uh well if your tablet can run Steam. It's a it's a Steam game. It's a I think it was make an RPG maker. This game it uses a very stark, almost two tone style of blue and no. yellow art. It, it, exactly two tone. Ah. It also uh, reminds me a lot as you describe it and looking at the screenshots of a game called Lord of Dragon Pass, which yeah. got a bit of buzz. Uh, like Lord of Dragon Pass was uh, was basically a Viking clan management sim as well. And so you had this overtone of like, yeah, what you're doing is big battles and big arguments and, and there's stuff and like appeasing the gods and there's war and violence and whatnot, but it's all being handled as text prompts and number prompts and adjusting scales and what the visual novel war game kind of thing there was also a uh dracula game came out a few years ago it's very much like yeah this. a dracula management sim well you're 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 uh, van helsing oh so you're slaying vampires yes you're you're killing a dracula yeah are you, are you like managing a, a team of like where, where's the management coming no. to it it's well. It's it's a it's like a choose your own adventure novel or a. Oh or a, right, uh, okay. 
or like a lone wolf book where you're managing statistics, like you have certain attributes, like in, in that one you had like health and and vitality and faith and whether or not you were a vampire, stuff like that. Hmm. <laughs> All right, so lesser management sim and more, uh, wait, like is this graphical or like visual novel or uh, just, uh, you know, pictures and text, novel, novel with choices, pictures and text. Okay. Yeah. So essentially a visual novel. <laughs> and that's a lot of the way, a lot like how uh, the Shredded Isle works. Yeah. Okay. You can also rename your villagers so you can sacrifice your friends to your dark god. <laughs> <laughs> if that's the thing you want to do. Yeah. Some, some people are into that. I've never been tempted. Yeah, so it's a $10 game on Steam and you enjoy it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, excellent. They recently updated it to include a, a more traditional black and white monochrome. Mm-hmm. In addition to the, like, the blue and yellow is the well, there's there's a there's a like a two tone green. There's a blue and yellow, which is very high contrast, and there's a uh, like a there's like a silver and red. I like the sound of two tone green. Yeah, it's that's uh, actually pretty nice. Sounds like it's a, a nice kind of Wicker Man kind of game. Yes. What about you, Fox? What have you been playing this past week? <laughs> uh, well, you remember how last week I was playing Final Fantasy VII again to see if it was in fact underrated, overrated, or both? Mm-hmm. Well, I've still been playing Final Fantasy VII. And is it? Uh, yes, I, I I do believe so. I think Jeb pinned it perfectly last uh, podcast. Yeah. I can report that now I have a mastered enemy skill material. I have, however, been using a retranslation patch. The original translation was... Taking away from the experience. <laughs> it was exactly like I remembered. Like, and, and that's why I dropped it in the first place. I was like, this is just incredibly vague and no one has a character voice. And I, I, I'm getting it. I found it a little tedious after a while. Mm. Turns out if you fix that, I'm really enjoying it. I understand that in Japanese, the characters do have distinct voice, but that's because a lot of stuff that they they use to distinguish their voice is effectively untranslatable. Right, yeah. I mean, they probably sound more samey in English still than they did in Japanese, but mm. they're a little more distinct, to the point where it's not hard to work out who's talking most of the time, which was a genuine problem I had with the original translation. There have been also points this week where you've pulled me over and, and pointed out something that's happening on your screen that you find very amusing, like the the limit break pilot. Oh, the the pilot on the high wind who's he starts off as a trainee and you keep talking to him as you advance the game and he's going up levels. Yeah. And then just after the dramatic speech where you're gonna go and fly over to the final confrontation, he's got, you know, glowing rainbow limit break after his level. <laughs> very cute. Yeah. Like it it's one of the things that really surprises me is that my recollection of Final Fantasy VII was that it was a very heartless game. But bearing in mind that I've mostly only played the first couple of hours, where it felt very much rote and with lacking in that kind of personalized heart and touch. Whereas by observation, it has that. You've just got to find it, and I didn't get to those points. Yeah, well, I think a lot of that belongs in the voice. Like that's. Of the many fairly bland RPGs made especially for the DS, um, the the thing that sets apart the decent ones from the, the NAF ones is usually mm. just a sense of, well, you know, this character sounds like every other character in every other JRPG, more or less. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the ones who stand out that actually wind up meaning something. And that's that's a problem that's been exacerbated now by people thinking that that's the trope. 
that like you've got to have a character who talks like this and that means every <laughs> character's got to talk like this mm, so yeah i mean it it's better than i ever thought it was i'll give it that uh i wish the things that had impressed people so much about it at the time have been less geared toward the cg sequences and whatnot you mm. might have wound up with a very different modern idea of jrpgs if we had picked out the other characteristics yeah i i uh i mean i honestly this this whole thing has been really fascinating to me because i'm really glad to find that i was kind of just wrong like i don't think this game will suck me in the way it sucked you in i don't think i will lose two weeks of my life to this game if i do come back and play it myself but i'm so glad to find that there is there there from someone i trust rather than just people who are like oh yeah i remember playing that game really really long time when i was 14 kind of thing right yeah i never really had that magic I have not, in fact, suffered through the countless hours of chocobo breeding to get a gold chocobo, because it turns out it's actually super easy if you just know exactly what you're doing to start with. So, you know, in a way, I have betrayed that organic experience completely. Uh, and in another way, I regret nothing, because I don't have a million hours to spend on that kind of thing. Now, as for myself, this past week, I've gone on a bit of a binge. It's it's a... Uh... So this is going to sound like I'm taking the opportunity on the podcast to take pot shots at my wife, and I wanted to underscore this is absolutely not what's happening. But we are using Steam Family Sharing. It's oh yeah, technically it's your Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, it's technically my copy of Final Fantasy VII, and you know, so what? But a thing I didn't know about Steam Family Sharing is that while someone is using it, you can't use Steam. That's, right? That's yeah, right. I thought yeah. it was playing that game or not, rather than using Steam at all or not. Yeah, and that's... we were kind of bad about this. And. And this means that, for example, for more action-oriented games or short-term play games, this obviously, you'd almost never have any kind of collision. But this is Final Fantasy VII, and it takes play blocks of four or five hours at a time, which means I've more or less been locked out of my Steam account for about two weeks now. (laughs) Which is fine. Again, I want to underscore, this is okay. Um, I'm looking forward to getting it back, but... I'm not, like, you know, mad about this. But this means that I've started looking at other game resources I have and other libraries of games I have that I haven't really been doing anything with because Steam is just so dang convenient. Which means I installed GOG Galaxy this past uh, fortnight. What's GOG Galaxy? It's basically GOG Steam. Yeah, they have, like, a launcher now. Yeah, and Mm. frustratingly, it's really useful. It lets you do things like throttle download times and a schedule downloads okay. and whatnot no like that's that's pretty cool stuff it it also cloud saves games that are compatible with it um i disdain launches that offer no value like fucking uh origin is yeah origin origin's got some problems <laughs> the best thing origin has going for it is that it occasionally gives you a really good game for free like mass effect 2 just straight up being given out for free every month yeah that that's Pretty also, good deal. Also, it has all those features you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it literally does everything that all the other ones do. It's just bad at it. One thing Galaxy <laughs> has over Steam and Origin, though, is it's 30 meg, and it's fast. <laughs> nice. Like, whoever coded this, because they're all they're all just web pages, right? I'm, I'm not wrong on that. Like, Steam and everything, they're all just browsers uh, and web pages, uh, more or less. Yeah, yes and no. All right. But the store component of the GOG launcher for me is just... nice and fast no lag it's really really nice and responsive anyway this means that i went back through a couple of my gog games which i downloaded with the idea of like oh yeah i'll play this i'll play this through this is the thing i want to do and never got around to which means this week i have played uh the samaritan paradox 
which has mm-hmm. now got a, I, I've got a review coming on my blog in a couple of weeks. After that, I went back to my DOS games and I played the Discworld point and click adventure game from Abandonia. Oh, which, wow. Which isn't even on GOG. And I played that right. through. Then I went and played through Full Throttle Remastered. And mm-hmm. I went and played through Day of the Tentacle Remastered. Did you FAQ the shit out of the Discworld? I had to FAQ the living yeah. hell out of the Discworld one. The funny thing is... That's slightly comforting. Coat, like, I, I played through Full Throttle first time, no lookups, nothing. And I just got the optimal path all the way Oh, through. yeah. Full Throttle you could do that with. And it scored into my brain. Um, Day of the Tentacle, same thing. There was just the occasional moment of like, hang on, double checking this in my head. How do I get this to work? Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember now. Um, but broadly speaking, those games are very much like, they're very good at signposting a lot of things about themselves. Yeah. But D- Discworld was a nightmare. Discworld was not interested <laughs> in helping you work out the puzzles. No. And like, I know it sounds kind of cheap to say, oh, well, 1995 was a different time, but oh my God, <laughs> 1995 was a different yeah. time. <laughs> one of one of the puzzles in Discworld involves giving an octopus. You have to tie up an octopus so it's handleable. Then you give the octopus some form of aphrodisiac. I can't remember what, what it even was at this point. You hide Ladies. it in a toilet. Oh, it gets no. worse. You hide it in a toilet. Then you give a nearby fishmonger uh, prunes, so he has to run to the bathroom immediately after eating one because that's exactly what prunes do. And then. There's the comedy closed um, closed outhouse, uh, you know, Looney Tunes stretching building sound effect, clouds of smoke, punching sounds, etc. Um, special effect, gag effect, and then you go and go out there, and there's just the the fishmonger's legs out from under the door with his belt, and you can take his belt. Like that's that's a puzzle, and it's a, like it's like all animated, mm. so you get like ooh a big set piece moment. It's just like. This is horrible. Okay. Cute cartoon animal sexual assault. Yeah, just oh my god. Yikes. Oh, that there's not. Oh, ugh. and like yeah, okay, different, different. Really, a different time in a different context. But suppose they were just trying to put extra layers on the puzzle because like, oh, really prunes belt would have done. Oh yeah, and like but the, that's not the way of Discworld. I write about it a little bit. The Discworld puzzle system is nonsense and garbage. It's it's a very bad conveyance in that game the the thing that there's this there's this idea that during the mid 90s we suffered kind of like adventure fatigue where the adventure games just got bad and then (laughs) adventure game and then people got sick of them but it's really much more that adventure games were getting big enough that the puzzles could get elaborate enough and there was no good conveyance or signposting or save systems that let people really (laughs) click with them and that means that yeah you do have these horror stories like the mustache puzzle that everyone seems to know about now (laughs) but you play Full Throttle. Full Throttle's puzzles can be just as obtuse, but it is really good at conveyance. It is amazing at just keeping you on track of the things that you can do and interact with. Mm. Um, this also gives it a much more punchy, aggressive feel than something like Discworld. Um, if you if you ever wanted to try out a classic point-and-click adventure game, don't have a lot of time and don't have a lot of tolerance for like the really weird... Um, monkey pirate nonsense of, of um, some of the more obscure ones like Simon the Sorcerer and whatnot. You Full play Loom. No. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I, I would actually say that Full Throttle is an even better example than Loom. Um, and Full Throttle Remastered is dang close to perfect as a translation of the original game. Uh, I wouldn't... It, like, there's a lot of stuff they couldn't reproduce, 
they had to go back and use the original audio, for example, because amongst other things, uh, Roy Conrad, the voice of the main character and narrator, has passed away, and you can't get the voice of Brain for the same price you could back then. <laughs> so... Well, that, I mean, that's... If you're doing a remaster, you just take the original full-quality audio mm. and, and re-encode it with modern techniques. Like, that's that that's not a hard lift unless yeah. you actually need to change the dialogue, which you probably shouldn't be doing in yep. a game like Full Throttle because the dialogue does not need, uh, you know, fixing. One of the nicest things about going back and finding it is that while there was that cringe moment in Discworld and there was another cringe moment in Day of the Tentacle, Full Throttle, a game about biker gangs and chainsawing people in the face, is the one that I went through the whole thing and at no point went, ooh, not a good look. <laughs> ooh. Right, uh, you would expect some nonsense from a game with that much testosterone in its, in yeah. its oeuvre. Like, the worst thing I can say about um, the, like, even representation. In in Full Throttle, there are uh, three major women characters, one of whom is a giant cube of a lady who has no hex to give. She is, she is not here to mess around. She's great. I don't think I met her. Uh, yeah, her name is Susie and she's the leader of the Vultures. Nice. And yeah, she's awesome. And it's, it is surprising to me that that game can still do a decent job with a very small cast of characters. And like, there are a lot of characters who are just white guys and they're terrible people and you hit them in the face with planks and stuff. And yeah, it's. <laughs> well, that's all right. Yeah. Overall. It'd be nice if you played the main, it'd be nice if you played the main character of Little Throttle. <laughs> fair, fair. Mm. But broadly speaking, the, uh, the, oh, uh, there's, there's like only one or two characters of color, which is a bummer. But again, broadly speaking for a game from 1996, Full Throttle does a much better job than some of the other games from that era that have weathered the time very poorly. I will, I will of course be writing full write-ups of these on my blog and, you know, going more in depth on specific things, but that was just one thing that really stood out to me. The, the, what's his name? Isn't the main character? No. Yeah. Ben. Yeah, Marina. He's not the, he's yeah. not the person. He's, he's not the person that the story is about. He's not the person that the story affects. He's just this guy. I, uh, I, okay, I, w I will say um, you can break the story into like two halves. The first half is definitely about Ben. The second half is definitely about Maureen. Um, but mostly because the first half is being separated from your friends and trying to reconnect with them. And oh my God, that game is short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the, oh yeah, it's like that. I think the speedrun's like 15 minutes or something. Yeah, it's so um, quick. The, the, uh, even the part where Ben's looking for the other bikers is really about, about Moraine. Yeah. Moraine. Moraine, yeah. Mo. Yeah. So kind of like Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Except good. <laughs> Breath of the Wild is an excellent game. I really like Maureen Corley, though. She's real cool. Sure. All right. I take nothing from her. So uh, we're going to stop it there before it becomes a fight about Breath of the Wild, maybe? <laughs> Moving on from the conversation of games that have aged somewhat poorly uh, onto a mechanic in games that maybe has aged somewhat poorly. We recently had the Splatfest between Ketchup and Mayo in the uh, Perry Bible Fellowship webcomic tie-in video game Splatoon. <laughs> I think you mispronounced oh. tomato sauce versus disgusting rancid egg paste. <laughs> Firm opinions here. Jelly versus cake. Yeah, just see, I I quite like the uh, I I like the idea of completely ridiculous arbitrary teams 
as a way to form, like, you know, just, just a random coalition of people and a semi-random sorting method. But, boy, howdy. That was fucking obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing that makes me dislike Splatoon more than fucking Splatfests. With that said, we have been presented in the past in video games with a variety of things that look like meaningful decisions and very much are just entirely arbitrary. So, what can you think of as an example of a time when a game has given you the illusion of choice and it's wound up having very little meaning? I mean, I've played a lot of Telltale games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Though also the the wanky media arts kind of, you know, waving of the bubble pipe moment is, well, you see, even just the fact that you've made the choice changes the game. It's like, well, yeah, but that, that's not what we're really talking about here. What the, the Telltale games do an excellent job of making you feel like your choices are relevant. Yeah. In, and that's about as, that's all it needs to do. Yeah. The idea in game design about this, with video game design, is the concept called perceivable consequence. And perceivable consequence in a lot of video games is super easy to get instilled. Um, you press the jump button and your character jumps. You hold the jump button longer, they jump higher. That kind of control mechanism on is like one of the most obvious examples of perceivable consequence. When it comes to story choices, one of the things Telltale are really good at with the way that they've designed their games is they've made a lot of choices that are functionally arbitrary that do still seem to have that perceivable consequence even if you do go back and replay the whole game and make all different decisions and you'll see how little you deviated from a path, which is, I think, really excellent because it doesn't leave you feeling like, oh, I should have gone back and, and done the things differently. I did. It's not a matter of I made a wrong choice, it's I made a choice. So, yeah, it very much leaves you feeling like, oh, I should have done something different. But then you go back oh. and try to do something different and it's like, oh, no, Carly's just going to fucking die anyways. Yeah, right. <laughs> The Walking Dead is perhaps a particularly miserable example of this. That is the kind of arbitrary choice that really pisses me off. Yeah, mm. the Walking Dead is also the Walking Dead season one is also great about um, the uh, and uh, I don't care about giving spoilers for that. I already gave away one. Um, before Carly <laughs> dies, you get a whole bunch of you get a whole bunch of of, uh, of like conversations you can have and and questions you can ask and and responses you can give. They all they they keep saying Carly will remember that. Carly will remember that. Carly will remember that. <laughs> Carly gets shot in the head a few minutes later. Carly remembered wow. that for the rest of her life. Wow. Um, here's another one. Bioshock Infinite, a game about which we can say a lot of very angry things. But uh, Bioshock Infinite, at a couple Order of points, present you. Bioshock Infinite, you have this pair of choices you're given between a brooch with a bird on it and a brooch with a cage on it to give to Elizabeth. And there Subtle. is almost nothing this thing, this changes. Like, in the purest possible sense, yes, this changes things. Throughout the game, she is wearing a different brooch. In terms of greater perceivable differences, it really isn't. Like, there's not really anything that comes of this. It's just a symbol of whether you're a creep or not. And the game, like, hand breaks to a halt to ensure, oh no, you're going to sit here and you're going to watch this fully animated voiced anchor your feet into position, lower your gun, Symbolism. do nothing. Except, yeah, to club you in the face with it. That's kind of the Bioshock way, though. Look at this symbolism. We're not actually going to do anything with it, but we're going to make damn sure you look at it. It's definitely the Bioshock Infinite way. I will stand up for Bioshock 1, 
doing a pretty good job of not nailing your feet down, except in very specific situations. But yeah, it was it was definitely we're going to club you in the face with this symbolism, and and you're going to deal with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. In Bioshock, in Bioshock, in, in Bioshock One, however, you're the one who is doing the clubbing in the face with symbolism. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is just going to be titled Spoilers. <laughs> Again, spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, this game's really old what? and you've gotten a copy of it for free by now. If you've got any online service, I think they gave it out to Desera people as well. I mean, jeez. <laughs> I think I want to say that game's what, 10 years old now? Hmm. I'm in a weird space with... See, when you asked me about this, I thought we were talking about being arbitrarily forced to make decisions, like false dichotomy nonsense. Mm. So I was going to talk about all those bits of RPGs where you can only take one or two members of your party to the bonding experience, and everyone else just has to sit in the fucking corner like there's no room for them in the theater or something. No. Those super-duper piss me off. Well, that that is a form of arbitrary choice, yeah. <laughs> And more so in, like, uh, your dating sims and kind of thing, where it's like, yeah, you have to choose to spend your time with one person to the exclusion of everyone else. And despite being a human, presumably, or something like one, you have no opportunity to just say, let's all go get pizza or something. Yeah. Persona. I'd like you to meet my other friends. Persona does that a shit ton, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, Persona, Persona 3 operates on the principle that literally the only time you have, you have to spend with exactly one person. You can't spend it with no people. If there's no one around, nothing happens. But if you have two friends, the universe collapses. And if you have one <laughs> friend, it, it works. Right. And and the <laughs> ultimate effect is just this really frustrating main character focus that's like, yeah, you know, you're a you're a chosen family. That's like the whole theme of every anime inspired thing ever to feature teenage characters. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's really not. It's just about you. Uh, bonding with everyone, and they barely fucking know each other the rest of the time. Very annoying. Again, one of the nice things about Skies of Arcadia. <laughs> That's kind of true, though it's mostly because you're stuck with the same three characters for the entire game, and only the fourth party member ever rotates. Yeah, but those three characters actually interact all with one another. Oh yeah, definitely. Which it's... is, as opposed to everyone interacts with in the same central game, character. In other games, they interact with each other. <laughs> Yeah, in Valkyria Chronicles. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and this is this that particular thing you're talking about there is an example of player based uh myopia of the design. Um also a kind of a spotlight effect where the only character we want to fo- make you focus with or empathize with is this one person, so that one person is going to be the emotional crux for the entirety of all the engagements, and you're gonna be either have to observe them or partake in them for them to matter. And that's um it's a mistake. It's just a simple mistake. It, it's a thing to look out for when you're making games. It's a thing that people making games still aren't great about, but yeah. <laughs> it's one thing that... Well, uh, it's also, it's also, it's also a, a programming challenge. Yeah. There's one thing that Star Ocean did right, uh, <clears throat> despite all the other problems I have with the Star Ocean <laughs> series. They did have a, like a repeated thing where when you would, you know turn your party members loose to run around town, they would hang out together and actually develop some stuff between characters rather than, rather than just following you around going, main character, love me. See, this is the thing. When you said that's what Star Ocean did right, I'm like, just how many times are you two going to start a fight on this? Ch- <laughs> I said that is one thing that Star Ocean did right. <laughs> no, this is... The, the, really, no, I'm only really talking about Star Ocean right. as well because I haven't played the other ones. The other ones do it too. The other ones do it real well too, so... Right, yeah. <laughs> Star Star Ocean games are at their best 
when the other characters in your party are doing their own shit. Nice. And uh, also Fire Emblem, come to think of it. Because they, like, the... This has gotten a little muddy in recent entries, where I feel the quality of the SWAT conversations has degraded somewhat in their efforts to make every pair of, of heterosexually compatible genitals match with every other pair. Mm. But uh, they, you know, historically have always had the just characters who have some things in common might form a bond and interact with each other entirely independently of you, hero. Which is, you know, refreshing, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really the topic that we were talking about. No, it works, because <laughs> the, na- the nature of arbitrary is capricious and determined at random from some- well, determined seemingly <laughs> at random from someone at, uh, above without a systemic or uh, reasoned approach. So, yeah, this is a perfect example of an arbitrary decision. This this topic itself <laughs> is arbitrary. Absolutely. I picked it at a whim as we're getting ready to do the record, <laughs> all right? Well, I have stuff to say about the other thing as well. <laughs> yeah? Because it's uh, like it's either something I really like or something that pisses me off more than just about anything <laughs> in video games. There's <laughs> a massive dichotomy. <laughs> like, I mean, okay, the kinds of the... The um the the telltale the Walking Dead kind of choices that Jeb was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand those work for some people that it's a, a compelling experience for them to be made to feel like whatever happened was their fault. Uh, that that they made the wrong choice, but it turns out you can only make the wrong choice. And then for some people that really works. For me, that just makes me resent the fuck out of a game. Like it. It wouldn't be such a problem if you had a variety of choices that you might actually. Well, a greater variety of choices. Uh, there are a few things that shit me off more than when a game says, uh, you, you did the wrong thing by making this flawed choice. And there is an obvious other option that we just didn't give you because we wanted to make you do the bad thing. Mm. And now you're supposed to feel bad about this player, but I'm not going to. I'm just gonna be shitty at you game because you you decided that I had to do a shitty thing, and that's not what I enjoy in games. So I feel a bit at times that uh, there's a certain critical body that really appreciate games that make you feel powerless or make you feel like things suck. Right. And, and for a certain group of people I know, we, we don't really need simulations of that right now. <laughs> Thanks. And I, once again, I'm not saying that's bad for, like, I understand why that's compelling for some people mm. and why that's an experience they want. But for me, that is just the number one thing that's going to make me not like your game. That I'm out. I don't want that. Yeah. But on the other hand, the the pointless arbitrary choices that are shot, that are there for no other reason than to let you express a bit of character, I love those. I love this being, you know, do do you, I don't know, call for a person or knock on the door or just open the door. Like that, it's a meaningless choice, but it's a tiny bit of character expression, which is really meaningful to me. City of Heroes, weirdly, for an MMO, yes. had a bunch of those. Exactly what I was thinking about. When they did Going Rogue, they started introducing these these choices that did literally nothing mechanical or, or nothing to the story or anything, but they were just like, well, we've invited people to create a character when they start this game and to actually think about who that character is rather than just making a set of numbers. Yeah. Um. And and now here's just a little way that you can say, yeah, well, no, my character just kicked the radio because she doesn't know shit about machines. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really like things like that. When, when Talon, you first brought up this, this, this topic of, of arbitrary decisions, uh, or, uh, I thought that what you were referring to were, 
were decisions that seemed to be meaningless, but were in fact massive game-changing situations. <laughs> which makes me think of Front Mission 3. Because Front Mission 3 does this in an amazing way. Oh, yeah? You see, in Front Mission 3, this game about giant robots in a war spanning the entire globe, you, you, the hero, you, drive a forklift. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you go to work with your buddy who also drives a forklift. So I don't know Front Mission 3, but I just pulled it up real quick. And this thing looks like it fucking rules. <laughs> well, Front Mission 3 owns. Front, front Mission games are amazing. But you're, you got your buddy you work with at the, at the, the robot place you, you drive your, your, your forklift at. And at the end of one day of working, he says, hey, do you want to go out for drinks? Yes or no? Now, do you know what the man- ramifications of going out for drinks with your buddy is? Uh, do you start the war somehow? It is literally which side of the revolution you're on. <laughs> wow. Shit. Because if you go out late with him, you are in a different situation when the when the, the, the war really breaks out and you wind up getting caught with, like, contraband because you're still at work and there's, like, a top secret device and you get whisked away and it's amazing. <laughs> oh, damn, though. Yeah. That that is legitimately amazing. I I did not know that. That sounds really cool, especially because like yeah, now obviously we, we can't excellent. You can't step in the same river twice, kind of thing. So obviously I'm I'm not going to be able to go back and have that moment. But I just imagining what it would be like for the person who played the game for the first time, didn't really think about that decision, played through the whole game, and then when they went and replayed the game, found like basically an extra game. Whole extra story. Other stories is a bit like that. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly where the branch is supposed to happen because it turns out I've not played all that far through it. But mm-hmm. apparently, there's like there's a point where it's like, okay, if you're going down this path, you are gonna save everyone but humanity. Whew. If you're going down this path, you're gonna save the humans and all the other races are fucked. Mm. Uh, this is part of why I've not played more of that game because I'm not sure I wanna. I'm not sure I ever want to realize I'm on either of those paths. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Mm. Once again, false dichotomies. Like I just, I just want there to be a save everyone path. Um, yeah. I'm sorry if people think that's that's silly or childish or ruining the solemn artistic merit of a game, but I, I don't believe in mistaking suffering for depth. And now it's time for retro gaming news. All the news is fit to print for the month of August 2012. Brought to you by main character theater. Bring whoever you want, but if you invite a second friend, reality implodes. Okay, viewer, now you can select A from your screen to proceed to retro gaming news, or B to, uh, go down the mystery path. The mystery path loops back around, and here you are at retro gaming news. Ha! <laughs> but you found a mitten. 2012. To answer the question, Fox was already going to ask. 2012. 2012, right, I've got it, I've got it, 2012. Okay, yep. August 2012, which... Whew, this is this is a rough time for Fox and myself because this is just after we've had the announcement that City of Heroes is being shut down. Oh. Yeah. So that's the that's the time we're talking about. And we're just gonna focus on a small number of games this time, as as is the new tradition, he says, having done it twice. Alright. We have the in August twenty twelve, we have finally America getting a game that had already been out in Australia, no less. 
Thunder Estelle? For six months. Uh, close. It's, it, it's one the of the other more different one. Yeah. Uh, the other Project Rainfall game. King uh, Story. Uh, it was the last story, yeah. Oh, last story. Good job, Jeb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. Uh, uh, notable about this game, as far as like legacy goes and lineage, um, this game was made by, uh, directed and co-written by Hironobu Sakaguchi, who was the creator of the original Final Fantasy. And, uh, he, it was the, the music director was Nobuo Umatsu. Yeah, I don't know how I never noticed before that Last Story is obviously a Final Fantasy name. Mm. It's just the same thing with an alternate translation, as it were. Uh, it also has an assonance in Japanese that we don't have <laughs> necessarily in, in English, which is, uh, it, it's Rastu Story. And the, the last two characters of Last is Suto, and the first two characters of Story is Suto. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. which is just kind of cool. Um, sadly, for all the fuss about getting this game out, once it arrived, I didn't hear anyone talking about it, which is so sad. Okay, I, I, I literally, <laughs> the only thing I've heard of is that it exists. Yeah. Pretty much. And people wanted it. I mean, yeah. that's it, that's it, that sits alongside, like, other, others of, of Sakaguchi's, uh, uh, spin-off pro- or, you know, non-Final Fantasy branded products, like, like, Blue Dragon. Yeah. In fact, he cited the poor reception to Blue Dragon as why he wanted to make Lost Story. He, he believed that Blue Dragon did badly because Blue Dragon had to be smaller and didn't have the grand scope of, uh, of a Final Fantasy, so he wanted to make Lost Story. Oh boy. Um, the, the, uh, yep, the overall- that, was, that was the problem with Blue Dragon. Yep. <laughs> I feel kind of bad about this because my main problem with playing Blue Dragon was it looked like butts. <laughs> and that's just Toriyama's art style. That was that was what it was trying to look like. Was it also doing 3D on the DS? It was doing isometric. Isometric sprites or isometric 3D? Isometric sprites. Okay. I mean, that is better than I would hope for because the, the DS doing 3D was... Yeah. It wasn't time. How's this for damning with faint praise? It was said that the story was great despite being made of well-worn cliches. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, isn't that uh, Bravely Default? Same, though. <laughs> uh, it was also described by Keza McDonald as a very classical RPG. Um, sure. And had familiar themes, settings, and characters. Honestly, I can see totally wanting <laughs> oh, that. So you've played Not, this before. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I don't have any problems I with that on principle. They've mm. just got to be really fantastic versions of these familiar things. Like, that's the risk that you run. You have to be the outstanding version of this, or you're just going to blend in. It also says that it's an ARPG, you know, active battle kind of thing, with Ugh. a degree of a gambit system like Final Fantasy XII, and is described as being very casual friendly, so as to not impede your path through the story. Ah, I would not have matched those two things together intuitively, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I haven't played it. Both you guys have? I haven't. I thought you had. No, and it's it's uh, on a system that doesn't exist in Jeb's place. So, oh, oh, it's a it's a Wii game. It's I, a Wii I only. This was a DS. Okay. No, and and that's actually really frustrating because if this was like on Steam. Oh no! Shit! Now we're talking about Last Story, not Blue Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's I got lost there. You have played Blue Dragon. Blue I have Dragon. played. Yeah. I've played a bunch of Blue, uh, Blue Dragon. Jeb has yeah, played. I played Blue Dragon. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I'll give you the first impression like I, I think this sucks and Jeb will come along with just like the expert opinion it sucks <laughs> sure sure it sucks real bad it's real bad Captain an Xbox Live Arcade release from a single designer 
published by Microsoft Studios. It was subsequently released um, in May the next year on Steam and GOG, and then eventually on Linux and OS X, and then the PlayStation 4, and then the iOS. This is a... This is one of those heroic effort kind of things where where certain types of games critic will often forget that just because one person made all of this game doesn't mean that that's what every indie game studio should be doing. It was on X Bluff first. Thomas was alone. X Bluff first. No, not Thomas was alone. Uh, bigger, more more epic in scale. It has animation. It has uh, it it, it has cutscenes. It has voice acting. Oh, uh, dust. An Elysian dust. dust. An Elysian tale. I don't think he did all the voice acting himself. He definitely didn't. <laughs> no, he definitely didn't because the main character's voice by Edwin Tion. Ooh, yeah. Okay, de- definitely not. And because the quality of voice acting varies tremendously from character to character. So mm-hmm. if they're all the same person, it would be fucking weird. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, uh, it is a notable game for its development and also that it's just good. Like, I haven't heard anyone talking smack about it's how really Dust good. is overrated. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not super keen on a lot of the character designs. Like, the art quality is very... It's really interesting uh, in the, the like, character portraits and the, the cutscenes and everything. But the game itself, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I love that game. <laughs> I played a lot of that game. All right. I had no idea it started on Xbox. Now, Fox complained that this particular type of game doesn't show up enough in the retro gaming news anymore. Which is the Garbage Tie-In. <laughs> garbage Tie-Ins! Woo! And this game is a prequel to the plot of the movie, with Barney Ross, Gunnar Jensen, Yin Yang, and Hail Caesar appearing as playable characters. Dolph Lundgren and Terry Crews voice characters. According to review aggregators, Metacritic and Game Range... The Expendables? Close! Ah, oh, shit. You are so close. <laughs> this game has received generally negative reviews. It also had a sister game that came out online only uh, about a week before this one so it's technically in August and not in Ju- it's technically in July and not in August and it was a single player tower defense real time strategy web browser game published by Roadshow oh. Films and oh. Soap Creative <laughs> sure the, co-op, the, four, the downloadable four player cooperative shoot 'em up version however was published by Ubisoft yeah, I don't know what that could be if it's not Expendables. It's the Expendables oh. 2! Oh, come, oh, come on. You normally give a hit for franchise. <laughs> and this is, the thing is, what I've just told you about this, that's everything. That's all that's on the Wikipedia page. It's a footnote on the Wikipedia page next to the orchestral soundtrack. <laughs> Disappointed to find Terry Crews wasting his time in that nonsense. Are you kidding? They backed up a truck with money on it to Terry Crews's house and said, hey, do you want this for being an absolute tool for 90 minutes? I think that if I was Terry Crews, I would take that. Uh, you could be a tool in good things, though. Fun things. <laughs> I think he had a lot of fun with all the money. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair... Your argument fair, has one word. Hold on, hold on a second. Like, the... The Expendables look like they would be a lot of fun to act in. Yes. Yeah, okay, you're probably right. The the And I actually learned that there was a funny joke in one of the Expendables. Like, it actually made me laugh. <laughs> a what? funny Ow. joke. There's a, there's a sequence where, like, uh, um, Jason Statham and all the, all the, like, you know, people who I don't really care about are breaking one of the, one of the uh, characters out of, like, this ultimate supermax hell prison kind of thing. And, like, you know clearly doesn't actually exist anymore russia 
and they break in and they like tear off the roof and they get this guy to the cell and they pull him up into the helicopter. And as they're flying away, one of the characters turns to him and says, what were you in for? And the guy looks down at the cell and looks kind of embarrassed. He's like, tax evasion. <laughs> and it's because the actor had been in prison oh! for years for tax evasion. <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. <laughs> yes, that's a joke. That's a good joke. Speaking of good jokes, this joke. game has a deeply flawed um, collision detection system that means that you can jump just after you jump. Oh, boy. Uh, this makes the game a little bit broken. You can infinite jump? You can infinitely jump with ah. a ground slam. It's a, it's a fun game to watch speedrun. <laughs> it was originally conceived as a sort Star of... Darksiders 2. It is Darksiders 2. <laughs> Darksiders 2 was originally conceived as a sort of attempt to make a Diablo 2 version to the Legend of Zelda that Darksiders 1 was. Where Darksiders 1, they were like, we want to make this game like a Legend of Zelda game. And then they made Darksiders 2 and like, okay, how are we going to make this different? And they said, let's make it Diablo 2-ish full of uh, loot drops and randomly generated gear and giant swarms of monsters that you have to hoe through and a sort of semi-procedural oh, content okay. generation. That didn't wind up happening. <laughs> See, I didn't realize you'd moved on to the next game. And when you started on this, I thought we were still talking about the Expendables 2 shitty-ass tie-in. <laughs> the first one is a Legend of Zelda like. way better. I was just looking forward to Terry Crews' infinite jumping. <laughs> I think you can do that. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. I'm looking forward to Terry Crews in a Legend of Zelda game. Oh, that'd be wonderful. All right. Two to go. We have- I got a thing. <laughs> We have a game which is a massive multiplayer online role-playing game developed by ArenaNet and published by NCSoft. It is a rare example of Guild a Wars 2? Uh, MMORPG. Yes, it's Guild Wars 2. It is a rare example of an MMORPG-style um, sequel that isn't directly iterative. Like EverQuest and EverQuest 2 were very much just building on the same thing. Whereas Guild Wars 2, whoo boy, is it different from Guild Wars 1. Uh, it's it's massive. It's open world. Sure it minimalizes minimalizes instancing. It tried yeah. to incorporate a bunch of really good ideas from a couple of other games NCSoft had made. I'd say I'm slightly cross about that because like Guild it Wars was... Two is broadly considered to be quite a good MMO. Mm. But for me, one of the best things about Guild Wars One was the mm -hmm. heavy instancing because like you only had to deal with fucking random anonymous tools yeah. when you were in town. And the rest of the time, you can just be like, I don't care about any of your existence. Me and my friends are going to go and live in our own world. I'm on an adventure. We are in an instance far away from you, person who gave their character a joke name and a white boy afro because that's hilarious. Fuck off. Uh, now, I like this. I like Guild Wars 2, and the, the people I know who've, who worked on Guild Wars 2 are very nice people. Yeah. Absolutely. I was I was just going to say, I, I'm going to minimize what I have to say about Guild Wars 2, because uh, I guess friend of the show, Caitlin Gad, uh, worked on it, and, you know, just disclosing that. Um, yeah, to be clear, I'm not saying anything bad oh, about Guild look, Wars 2. Look, I'm just reminiscing about something I liked from Guild Wars 1. Mm. Look, look, if, if, we, if we started doing, if we started minimizing the things we say, then we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> True. <laughs> Like, what am I supposed to fucking talk about, really? It's a good point. You're <laughs> friends with everyone. <laughs> um, in the opening weeks of Guild Wars 2's launch, ArenaNet actually stopped selling the game briefly because they were concerned about initial server load. <laughs> 
wow, that's astonishingly responsible for an MMO's <laughs> opening week. That, like, normally they're just like, yeah, come on, fucking everyone, come on in. Oh, it crashed. Oh, well. Yeah, that's not our problem. Uh, no, the game at that point had sold over 2 million copies in its first weeks. Uh, it hit 5 million copies in August mm-hmm. 2013, uh, by August 2015, and that's when it became free to play. Um, the game's peak player concurrency is about 460,000. So that's that many people playing all at once, all online, which is, that is a really good number. That is, uh, ironically, that's a really good number for anyone shy of the World of Warcraft level stuff. So Final Fantasy fourteen and all the Korean MMOs that exist in a very different space. I mean, literally anything but World of Warcraft. No, uh, Final Fantasy fourteen is now up there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if it's actually overtaken it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. I so yeah, like we would have heard about it more if it See, had. It's getting close. Yeah. And I mean, you know, th- these things happen. Um, well, the finally. thing is the thing is that, like, Blizzard, Blizzard re- like, a couple years ago stopped uh, stopped releasing the numbers for... That. Yeah. So... Mm, good point. That became private shareholder Where information. I can't tell you when guessing. they... Mm-hmm. Um, and for what it's worth, that was actually, uh, like, I actually backed that decision when they, st- when they decided to make it private shareholder data, because immediately after any release um, of those numbers, you would get people writing a lot of very ill-informed kind of articles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doom! Yeah, and the problem was that that (laughs) doom was having an impact on people who were primarily investors and not players of the game. See, I told you this particular expansion would be the one that ruined everything forever. I was always right. Yeah, and so we don't know these things. There are, like, uh, Blizzard have commented that they are very happy with the success of Legion, but that's all we know. Our final August 2012 game. We have here, uh, this, this, this one's a bit of a darling of the show. We've talked about this game a few times. It's come up in a lot of conversations about unrelated games. It's, it's got a lot of trivia value. Like it's, it's technically part of a series that almost got canned and it's technically its own thing as well. At the same time, it's a example of a game where almost every character is a person of color. It was uh, published by Square Enix, so there's a nice little kind of like, oh, it's a what's what's this oddball Square game? Uh, it is also a game with kung fu and with allegiance systems, and at one point you have to chaperone a ghost. <laughs> uh, this game is set in Hong Kong. It's an action adventure open world game. Yep. Uh, there is a environmental kill where you can shove someone into an air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I just want to hear you talk more about Sleeping Dogs. Yeah, Sleeping Dogs is so good. That's you shove them into like the the, the, the box the on top part, of the, the exhaust fan. Okay. Yeah, on top of a building, not like into an actual in in house. You did have me quite confused for a while there. I'm like, maybe you get electrocuted or something. <laughs> no, no, that would that would be positively merciful by comparison. Um. And here's another weird piece of trivia. Emma Stone voices an Asian woman in this game. Oh, don't do that. It's just like, why her? Is this a thing about her? Like, is she actually, like, from Hong Kong and this is a thing I didn't know? Well, she is Emma Stone. But, I mean, still, you shouldn't do that. Well, it's so very, very strange. Uh, Because she was also in a movie where the whole point was like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm totally half... Uh, Japanese and everyone and every single member of the Screen Actors Guild who wasn't white was like, really? <laughs> this was the best actor you could find for this? Really? Mm. Anyway, that is 
our rundown of August 2012. So these games are five years old, and some of them are really good. Like, some of them are definitely worth your time to go back and play. Mostly Sleeping Dogs. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say that was a pretty solid retro gaming news overall in in terms of actually turning out games you might want to play. Like, just because none of us ever heard anything about Last Story after a cut release doesn't mean it's not a worthwhile game. Yeah, and there's some other oddball things. I have no idea. It might be fantastic. There are some other, um, like, extra releases of games that were already out, like um, Iron Brigade, which finally got a Steam release, which is a... It, it, it was originally called Trenches, and it was it's basically World War One with diesel punk mecha, where the whole point is it's almost like a tower defense in real time, where you are using your mech to make a trench formation, yeah, and that's, that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure High Def finally got released on the PlayStation Network, which is something <laughs> they were hoping for. Um, Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition came to the came to the PC. Oh, there you go. That's quite a thing. Mm-hmm. And. And almost worked. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of almost worked, uh, Psychonauts got its PS3 release. <laughs> That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> I still love that game, but the more I deal with Jeb and the more I deal with Telltale in general, I'm I'm very much coming to agree with, with Jeb that the best things they've done have been slightly accidental. <laughs> not Telltale. Uh, double Sorry, fine. yeah, Double Fine. That was Double Fine. Yeah, Double Fine, yep. I'm not going to say accidental, because the things that are good about the things they made that were good are fairly consistent. Hmm. It's more like the good fortune of not having accidentally fucked it up. Yeah, and the things that are bad with Psychonauts are kind of forgivable in its case. Like, the camera is shit. The controls are wonky. Right. The geometry is pretty easy to break. And but it this has... was true of most games. That, like, cameras were crap at that point. And it, and it does have, for example, a really tedious auto-scroll level, and some of the characters are a little on the nose. But overall, I still like the work. You're right. We hadn't we hadn't invented good 3D platforming back at the time when Prince of Persia Sands Time came out. Man, I love that game. <laughs> so that was the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Was it? Thank you very much for tuning in and listening, the listener. We very much appreciate the support that you give us by listening, and also the support you give us on Patreon. Thanks to you, we get to do some of the cool things we get to do with this show. Um... As ever always, that was Fox. Enjoy this episode, listener. Several hours later than normal, because that's how long it's going to take time to finish the edit. <laughs> As ever always, that was Jeb. Give us money. That's definitely talent. I, I, I can be sure of that. He's sitting right there. <laughs> Tune in next time when we'll try to have some time to talk about platformers. Da, 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 da.